Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Can we have a very warm welcome to um, the writer and director of this wonderful film we've all just seen, um, Charlotte Regan, who's going to be in conversation with Wendy Eyde. Please welcome them both. Thank you. So, firstly, I really want to congratulate you on um, a fantastic film. Um, let's start with how the idea came about. I mean, you started out as a teenager making uh, music videos. You've made a lot of short films. You have told a lot of stories already. So why this one for your first feature film? Um, oh, I'm really like uninspiring with all answers, so it's just going to be a really dodgy like 45 minutes or maybe half hour. Um, I don't know how long it is, um, but I think it was mostly so. My producer Theo is here, and I think he is the one who has always like dragged different things out. I think if I had it my way, I would keep making like 500 pound rap videos forever because they are the most joyful things in the world. Um, and it was very much like Theo, we spoke a lot about like making a working class film that kind of didn't uh, let characters be defined by their, their class or, or their like, poverty. And that was kind of where everything came from, I guess, with Scrapboy. Yeah, yeah. So I think like many films which we're seeing at the moment, COVID plays a role in the story of the development. So I think, as I understand it, the film started out as something quite different when you first conceived it. And then during the sort of COVID process, you changed direction. Would you mind talking a little bit about that and what prompted that? Uh, yeah, it, it started, um, like, I think it was about a teenage boy and his nan who were on the run from, like, drug dealers. Um, it's very different. It was very, like, Guy Ritchie, and there were, like, lots of shootouts and, like, big epic car chases that we couldn't afford. Um, but I think I'm just really bad with... Um, I can't really, like, tweak scripts or rewrite scripts, which Theo loves. So whenever we kind of get to a certain stage, I'm just like, oh, I'll just do a page one rewrite. And I, I like listen to this guy and I can't remember who said it, but he said that this random person, it might have been random, might not have been, said that you should like put your script in, uh, in a drawer and go back to it like a month later and anything you don't remember doesn't deserve to be in there. And I don't even remember if it was someone I rated who said it, but it's just really stuck in my mind. So now I do that every few months and we end up with like... Yeah, from like a one case, like low-end Star Wars to a Guy Ritchie to Scrap Art, it changes each draft and like poor Theo has to be like, oh, but it's been greenlit, you're not meant to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's go back a little bit to the short films and, and, and the rap videos. Um, that's a lot of skills that you've accumulated at a very young age. So what would you say is the most useful thing that you brought from those experiences to making your first feature? Um, I don't know, really. I think with music videos in particular, you can, like, you can keep planning, you can have a treatment, you can have ideas, but um the reality is like you get there and then there's a rapper who's like i just don't want to do that and you're like oh fuck like that was my whole idea on it so then bang you're suddenly changing the whole idea kind of on the spot and that happened constantly in music videos so i think it kind of maybe taught me the process of like 
of adapting, which I think works well in particular with streetcast young people, which is like which most of my music videos were in that space as well, because it just brings like such a different energy to the set. Like you're trying to create an environment where they can just exist and be their best. And the day is dictated to by Lola, you know, if she turns up and she is not in the right headspace to do an emotional zone, then you have to like pivot and completely change your day. And I kind of love that. I love that energy, I guess. I love having to adapt really quickly, yeah. Um, I mean, as I've, I've already said, you come, you came to your first vote feature with, you know, a lot more experience in, in many ways than, than other people in the same situation, but you're still starting your first feature. So I just wonder, can you remember much about the very first day on set? Um, I can't really. Um I can't remember. Oh, I remember. So when we were like casting Lola in particular, whenever you introduced her to a a new person, she would completely um, close up and not be willing to like look anyone in the eye or speak. And that was like a, obviously a big worry because when you get on set, there's, you know, 70 of you or however many there are. Um, so up until the day, we were very like worried about creating the right space for Lola and, and what that would look like. And I just remember the feeling when when the camera got in, because all through rehearsal, she had just been like, don't worry, I'll do it on the day. I'm not going to do it in rehearsal. And I was like, where have you learned this from? Like, what is Harris Dickinson teaching you? Um, but then she totally did. She got there on the day and it was quite like tough scenes. It was like the, the kind of flashbacky stuff with her and her ma. Um, and she got there and she was just like incredible. So all I remember from most of the shoot is like that first day with Lola and the feeling of, I keep saying this to Theo, even if like we get Daniel Day-Lewis in the old second feature, which we won't obviously, um, I think Lola is the best actor I've always worked, I've ever worked with and always will be. She was just so instinctual. And that first day, I think me and Theo like both drove home because I used to get a lift with Theo to save him the cash and to just like piss him off with new requests. Um, just thinking like, like the film can't be made without Lola. I think she carries the film. She like makes up for a lot of my bad writing you know she's just like a yeah so that's the main feeling I don't think it's bad writing let's talk a little bit about what you did to create the space for her to feel confident enough to give this incredible performance because I mean she is remarkable I agree with you um but you know performances like that don't just happen they are directed so how did you make her feel comfortable enough to to you know be as free as she is in front of the camera um, I think it's just like, uh, I suppose I'd worked with a lot of young people through all my music videos and I just find each of them a, a very different and you just take a long time getting to know them beforehand and like adapting to, to their style of work, I guess. Um, and I think what we learned with Lola is that she liked, she liked to know what was happening in the story, but she didn't want to totally kind of be given an entire script. She kept saying, this is such a long script, I don't want to read this. So, which is fair enough, you know. Eight, 90 pages not that long but yeah we take it um and, and then I'm like very maybe fussy about the space and and like the atmosphere that's created I kind of think that's like your only or your biggest power as a as a director I guess so like on the floor it would just be me um Molly my DP and a sound recordist um and obviously the department's hated this, but I don't really do um, checks just because I think someone coming in and breaking that space constantly just reminds them that they're in this really strange world, which they are anyway. So it was just us three on the floor and then Theo as well. Um, and we would keep it really tiny. So I suppose it almost felt 
like not documentary like she's nothing like a character she wouldn't be seen dead in a football top but it was very um it was very intimate um and we would kind of give them pages from the script but way in advance and then almost want them to semi forget it by the thing you know you'd want it to become second nature that she remembers what the script is but she doesn't remember it word for word like I'm not precious about the lines um and we did things like have no lights on the floor mostly it was all kind of lit from windows or practicals so that it wasn't like things that were reminding them of set so it just meant a lot of crew that were like hiding in vans, stuck in behind bins, even their walk over to set. I didn't want them to pass by monitors or like crew. So just a lot of aggro for Theo in summary, to be honest. Yeah, that I just said was part of my creative process and he just took it on the shoulder, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, where did you find her? She is absolutely incredible. I mean, did you know immediately when, when you first encountered her that she was going to be right for the role? Um, so Shaheen, Shaheen Bay casted and she is the most iconic human ever and incredible with casting roles like this as well and like the aftercare and just cares so much about the kids. So we we did like quite a long process because before um, we got greenlit a year before COVID um, and we were about to shoot. So we'd we'd met quite a lot of kids that were that age. And then we had to put it all on pause for about a year. And we found that a year later, we went back and saw, say, three kids that were kind of on our shortlist, I guess. And just that age between like, like not being in secondary and going to secondary is such a formative kind of year. And kids go from like being willing to believe in magic to like, well, like that's not cool. I'm not going to talk about a tower that's in the sky, you know. So lots of those kids had really changed just in that one year. Um, but Lola sent us in this tape where she hadn't like done anything I'd asked her to do she just spoke about like home bargains and how much she loved home bargains and obviously a great shop well I don't know whether it's like worthy of five minutes of rambles but it was to Lola um and kind of straight away I think we said oh it's the it's the home bargains girl um and I was quite obsessed Theo is a bit more practical and he's like don't you know don't don't say that we'll wait until we we see her uh, and she came to the audition and she wouldn't really say a word she wouldn't look me in the eye and she was super nervous um so we started going to her house like once or twice a week for cups of teas and like making fools of ourselves like doing improv until she like deemed us worthy of friendship which took a few months so yeah but it was Shaheen who yeah just like knows where to find incredible young people she really is incredible. Um, and I think one of the things we get from, you know, from her from you know, and from your filmmaking approach is just this kind of fizzing energy to the, to the film. It's just full of energy. It's full of ideas. Um, does that energy, did that transfer to the atmosphere on set? Was it, you know, it was an exciting, chaotic place or, uh, or is it calmer than it appears on screen? Um, a few always describes it as like he was like the parent of a group of kids and um, cause Harris is very childlike in the best way he can bring himself kind of down to be a kid with us and Molly is like an absolute kid as well so we would just kind of run around um, like having water fights until fear would be like no guys like it's not the right time so um, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun for sure I think it depended on the on the day I think when Lola had 
heavier scenes, we would always try to create a different atmosphere, I guess, because she was very easily led by the atmosphere of the crew or by we worked out like a weekend. If she didn't get Greg's or McDonald's breakfast, she was fuming all day and like wouldn't act and would just refuse to say the lines. So, yeah, it was a mix of if she'd been given Greg's, it was a great day. Whenever Alan was on set, it was always a great day because he's just like endlessly chatty and and I think that's like part of the joy of like having uh, young people who haven't worked in film it kind of reminds you how sick our job is because you just have to change your lens and they would be like oh my god you've changed the lens that's so fun and everyone on the crew kind of like takes a step back and remembers how how much fun it is and like it's so weird that we're just getting to like paint houses and film like it's a weird job so the kids helped create that atmosphere and let's talk a bit about Harris Dickinson. What did he bring to, uh, you know, working with you know, newcomers who have no experience? Obviously, he has quite a lot more experience. Um, did he, he sort of nurture them? Was he just a big kid? He, he was a mix. Um, he, he's probably like one of the selfless, most selfless actors I've, I've ever met. And I think that's massively what we were looking for, you know, because... Um, when we were casting Jason, we were always conscious that it's like it's the kids' film, so you don't really want an actor who's going to come in and kind of try and scene still or think it's, the, it's their film. It's his film in a lot of ways. It's everyone's film, but it's like anchored by the kids, I think, and they were the ones who needed the most like attention and support. Um, but Harris is like, and I said this, you know, it feels quite weird. Um, he comes into a scene and he doesn't even talk about it, but it just feels like Harris thinks about how he can make the scene better for everyone. It's just his kind of working style is the way he thinks about his performances in a way of like how how does my performance affect other people's. And I think that's kind of maybe rare in actors, which is fair enough because it's a very like you have to think about yourself and your own performance. But he very much is like thinking about what he can offer them to, to bounce back on and things like that. And he would, you know, turn up when they had important scenes that he wasn't in and good at like having having boundaries as well as offering a lot of his time, I suppose, because I, I think that's like quite a weird aspect as well. You know, you're, you're in their life for this short period of time in a really impactful and intense way but you also don't want to give the impression that you're going to maintain that level of presence in their life and he was very good at like being like this is kind of a fictional world and yeah he's like very responsible in that regard and great human you mentioned how excited the kids got about lenses and cameras I mean can we just actually talk about lenses and cameras for a moment I mean what did you shoot on oh god there was Molly um great camera love the camera um Theo Alexa, some sort of Alexa, I'm going to say. Um, but it was some sort of Alexa. And the lenses, we did loads of lens tests. And it was legit the most boring period of my life that I've ever had. Is like doing lens tests in a studio with Molly just filming my face and being like, look. And I'm like, it looks exactly the same as the last 17 lenses we've tried. Well, so not a clue what lens that was on. But I'm sure it was a lovely one that Molly picked. I think they... <laughs> Yes, Theo. They were Maru Anamorphics. And they were, like, expensive and really hard to get. Nightmare to insure. But looked looked cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about putting your team together. I mean, you'd worked with Harris before, is that right? Um, what yeah. about... And I think you've worked with Theo before as well. Um, and Molly, had you worked with her? Or do you, you knew? So is it important to have... a? group of people like a support system for you that you knew was that an important element for you 
Um, yeah, for, for this project in particular, um, Eleanor, my production designer, was um, <clears throat> like one of my best friends growing up as well. We've known each other since we were like 12 and went to school together. Um, and Molly is one of my best friends. And I, th I think, uh, that, you know, on like TV projects or, or different projects, it's fine to not have that space. But this felt like such a, a personal project and, and one where you really need, needed to know like the character of the HODs because they were going to spend so much time with the kids, which I think is so important. So... Yeah, and we were very, like, collaborative, you know. Theo tells me when I'm doing a bad job and he, like, lets me look through his emails, not the important ones, but just some of the fun ones. So we very much, like, have a collaborative space where we all share. Like, Molly was involved from early and so was Eleanor and I kind of love working that way. That would be the dream to always work that way, but obviously you can't, so... Yeah. No, you can make it work. Some shows, yeah. Um, the location is really fantastic. I mean, let's talk about... You know, first of all, finding the location for the, the housing estate. Did you have a, a definite idea of what you were looking for when you went out to look for a place to shoot? Um, it it changed a little bit. I think I had an idea of the of the feeling that I wanted it to have. I guess I think I remember like growing up on my on my nan's estate and it feeling like like massive, like it was its own world. And it, I don't know, it's like the best place to be when you're a kid because there's like loads of your friends that just live on the same street as you, the same walkway. So it feels like a like a holiday park, you know? Um, and it always felt so safe. Like you would get all the grands that would come out on the balconies and kind of watch the kids in the center area. And we were really looking for that, for that feeling. And me and Theo, like um, maybe like a year before like we actually started hard prep we started to like we called them like weekly adventures and we'd drive around and look at different estates to see if they were the feeling because it was helping with the writing process as well and just found that in in London in particular you don't you don't get that as much anymore just with how London's changing but as soon as you go on the outs onto the outskirts it kind of gets that way and Lime's Farm which was uh, just out in Essex, like had had that feeling, you know. Every time you went to the park, there was like thirty kids playing, and everyone knew each other. It had its own shop that everyone chatted to the security guard in, and it just felt like such a, a community, I guess. Yeah. So, how do you go about? Obviously, you know, this is a place where people live. How did you involve the community? Um, how do you develop a relationship with the people who actually live there? Yeah, there's a lot of the location manager being charming in it. That is their that is their like key skill, I find. Um, but we had a lot of the young people on the estate kind of in the film. The the school was our unit base, so we were like involved with the school from quite early on. And then we had people working on the film that were from the area, so they were like super super welcoming, and they would have been like, within their right to not be. You know, we did a couple night shoots, and we were just around for like I think four weeks, so like anyone would be, and we'd painted a whole street with multicolors, so anyone would be yeah within their right to be pissed off but they they kind of were super welcome in the entire time let's talk about the colors i mean the look of the film it just has that kind of optimism and and you know i think it, i i remember thinking it looked like a pack of refreshers the color palette which is you know just it's sort of optimistic and it's upbeat and you know this is a film which is dealing with grief so it's a really interesting kind of juxtaposition so can you talk about the sort of the, the use of you know the painting of the uh, the houses and the use of color a bit yeah yeah it was like something me and molly spoke about like way way before we went into prep but it was just that i think that central thing of like um, wanting to make a working class film that wasn't like the traditional, like super desaturated and, and grey and the world's always feel super heavy and, and sad. Um, 
and like loads of that is out of our control you know because that is the architecture of a lot of these places and then even though we're filming in the summer it's obviously going to piss down a lot of the time so I think we just thought about what we could push that would kind of create that and me and Theo had always said the the script should feel like you've kind of asked Georgie to write it a year after something's happened. You know, it should feel like Georgie has almost wrote the script and, and kids naturally like embellish on their stories and have incredible imaginations. So we wanted everything visually to come from that space as well, which is what made us push it. Yeah. You mentioned the weather. I mean, obviously that is a factor that's out of your control. Did you have any kind of really difficult days where things went wrong? <laughs> I can't remember. I always think it was a great time. Theo, any bad days? Just COVID stuff. Just COVID stuff. Otherwise, great time. Right? (laughs) Yes. No, I don't remember any dodgy days, but sometimes you do that thing, right, where you, like, remember things really romantically to convince yourself to do them again. Oh, it's like giving birth, isn't it? I think you forget (laughs) the pain, don't you? Um, So uh, let's move on to, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the the sense of the location. Um, Um... can you talk about, I mean, actually, let's stick with the colours. How do you persuade people to, um, to paint their houses these colours? And, and are they still those colours? Cash, cash, cash. <laughs> no, um, they were pretty up for it, to be honest. And a lot of them, they wanted it to stay the colour. They really liked what it did to the street. And I think most people wanted to keep it, but the council wouldn't let us keep it because they said it like showed uh, favouritism to different no. residents. So they made us paint it back. Yeah. Oh, no, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the, sort of the playful element, like the, the, the use of colour, um, which, you know, there's that and there's also these sort of little playful devices that you include in the film so can we talk a little bit about uh some of the 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 fun stuff like uh the spiders the use of kind of graphics the to camera stuff i mean when did these ideas become part of the film is this something that was sort of there from the beginning or was it added in later on um, I think there was always aspects of the ideas in, in some form and then when amazing people like Molly and, and Eleanor came on board, they like helped me write them less dodgy. Um, so there was always aspects of it, like even in that really old version of the script, it kind of started with a sequence like in a lift of a tower block and whenever the doors opened, there was something mad happening on each floor. So there was always like little things like that, I guess. Um and the spiders, the spiders, yeah, this is a big issue with me and Theo, it's the cause of all our problems. Meant to be foxes, I wanted it to be foxes, isn't it? that opened their mouths and chatted, but he <laughs> says you, you can't get foxes to do that, apparently, <laughs> which is absolutely devastating, and we couldn't afford them, so it was like spiders, and love a spider, but heartbroken that it wasn't a fox, yeah. I think the spiders work, though. It's like a little kind of chorus. Of, Don't take yeah. sides. Don't I take like sides. I like the spiders. <laughs> but yeah, foxes would have been also great. Um, um, so can we talk a little bit more about uh, working with Molly? What kind of conversations did you have with her about you know, creating the look of, of the film? Um, we're like quite... Um, we're quite like childish so our conversations are really not very like um Theo would leave us in a room for like six hours and come back and be like what practical stuff have you discussed and we'd be like we've just decided where to go for lunch and we've decided like our big reference was Born Ultimatum which I'm sure came to mind as soon as you watched the film like no doubt um so we would be like way too childish with our 
with our ideas. We would sh- we would shoot a lot beforehand on like our mobile phones and stuff like that. I think we both it's probably why we get on, but we both work best by like doing, and we struggle with just like sitting in a room and like talking about concepts for ages. Um, so we kind of prefer to like go out and do things or use it as an excuse to like go to the cinema and reference Born Ultimatum. Um, so yeah, we spoke a lot about like Florida Project and and like Baby Teeth. We both loved and films like that that seemed to like push their color palette. But I won't lie, mostly it was Born Ultimatum. Like I can't <laughs> lie about that. Yeah. Um, you talk about um, sort of the cliche representation of working class life, which obviously you know we do see a lot of quite bleak representations. Um, the films that you've just mentioned, Baby Teeth and uh, in Florida Project, obviously are interesting references. Is there anything else that you you used as a kind of a, as a reference point apart from Born Ultimatum? <laughs> Um, I kind of I really love like um, Summerstown and like a lot of Shane's work with young people and yeah, yeah like those performances are incredible. Um, Theo, what other references? I can never remember, but Theo always remembers. What other references? Paris, Texas. Yeah. Harry Potter, the second one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that's a bit more arty or no? That's it. Okay, yeah, so, sorry, I can't list off some. Um, So um, let's go back a little bit again to sort of the actors. Um, I'm working with non-actors. Did you um, have any of the the local people working as extras in the film? You did? Yeah, yeah, uh, lots of the kids that come in and out of the background and scenes that we lost that had bigger, kind of more sprawling moments with kids as well, yeah, yeah. And have you watched it with the people who who, uh, who lived in the area? No, I think we're doing a screening with the school, right? So we're going to go back to the school where the unit base was, hopefully, and watch it, watch it with them. That will be fun. Thing. Um, so the, this, there's an interesting balance here that you've got between you know some really quite heavy themes. You know, it's a child who's processing grief in her own very sort of specific and interesting way but you know it is a film about grief but it's also this really kind of upbeat it's funny it's humorous um it's optimistic um can you just talk about striking that balance um yeah i mean it was a hard one the edit was like absolute nightmare um mostly because of the the tonal balance you know we we started the edit going very like heavy towards the drama and kind of stripping that stuff out because it was like really hard to to place within the film um but i think it i think it came from like um a lot of the the research we did into like um how kids deal with grief and me and theo had done a documentary for the guardian called no ball games like um maybe two years before we started the film i think and that was very much like a film that was really hard to edit and make until we decided to just let the kids make it and let them dictate like what happens in the film and we kind of had the same process with with scrapper and and lola to be honest is like incredible at that like tonal mix because she finds like um earnest scenes really uncomfortable so she naturally wants to undercut them with humor so if you gave her a scene that was too emotional she would start going into an improv about how there's like a grandma on the estate who's like killing all the young people and i'd be like that's not really the scene is it lola you're telling jason you love him for the first time and she'd be like no i'm not though am i yeah so it was 
it was I think it's within me and Lola's character to to kind of do that and that's kind of what I love in working class cinema that I have seen that I've loved is like that like resilience and that like humor that comes out of the the darkest times I suppose is my favorite yeah were you really open to letting her improvise? I mean, is, is how much of the film is is improvised? Is just sort of created on the spot? Yeah, not hundred percent. She'd. I'm happy to take credit for her better dialogue. You know, I'm just like my career will be based on Lola's incredible script writing, and I think she should write scripts eventually. Um, but it was it was a mix. Um, we would kind of always do like a bonus take, a Lola take, we'd call it, where she could just say what she wanted, and it was hit and miss with whether you'd use that because she could go on for like eight minutes about something really niche like cheddar cheese and it would be like eight minutes into it so whether or not you want that when you get to the edit is hard hard to know um and people couldn't you know Harris everyone's an incredible actor and we had great comedy actors in this as well but but Lola is so so sharp and she just has no in that super young way she doesn't have any self self-awareness in the same way that we all do so even when she was with comedy actors she would be like bang like incredible line after incredible line and they would be like oh god I don't know how to keep up because she changes the topic so so drastically um so yeah it was it was for sure a mix she was a massive part of of the script you know we would go into our house way in advance and, and chatting to her about it and she was very happy to have ideas and to tell me some of mine were bad so it was a great time there <laughs> so but with that in mind with all you know all these kind of um seven minutes of cheese improvisational things how much how many pages did you get done in on average in a day fear yeah. <laughs> five four I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Who's counting? Theo's counting, I think, isn't it? Um, so um, you had a quite an informal relationship with, with Molly. Um, did you, I mean, how structured was the shoot? Did you, you know, how did you approach the storyboarding, for example? And did you have um, quite a strict list of shots that you wanted to achieve? Or are, are, you, are you quite open and improvisational on that as well? Um, it was it was for sure a, a mix. Like um, I'm never a fan of when it's young people. Different when it's like a scene with just Harris or adults. But I never want them to like have to to hit marks or to be conscious of anything other than just like being present. So to that extent I guess like we would we would block but I would always say like sh show me your blocking because often that is better than anything I have thought of and then Molly would just have to stress out about how to light that without putting lights on the floor which is obviously big stress um so it was a mix I think we kind of boarded with bad stick men like scenes that we were stressed about or scenes that were kind of a bit heavier with the blocking or a bit harder to work out um but then some of the other scenes, we just knew that the kids would come with a certain energy and we didn't want to, like, even having those ideas beforehand kind of box them into what we wanted to do. We just spent a lot of time in the spaces and looking through references and spoke more through that, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's move a little bit towards the, the editing process again. I mean, I love the energy that comes through in the editing, which I think a lot of it seems to actually, from what you're saying about Lola, it feels like her personality is very much... Um, you know, reflected in this kind of uh, short attention span, let's put it that way, of the kind of, you know, lots of ideas and the kind of loads of, you know, stimuli. So is that was that a kind of reference point, a kind of youthful scrolling finger on the phone kind of thing? Yeah, I, th I think that's kind of why me, Molly and Lola got on so great. Um, 
and like went to Legoland recently. Lolo is a great excuse to do all the childish things that you wish you could do. And she comes and finds it like not fun at all. Um, but yeah, we're all very, um, got really short attention spans and we all kind of matched in that regard. So I think that is the energy that you get in the film and, and the documentary that we did, No Ball Games, we found like how much the day could change based on like if you give the kids a pack of Haribo, like bang, suddenly the next hour is just chaos and you're running around with a camera and you're like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, or you'd like come over to the estate and they'd all just be like not speaking to each other and it's because one of them like ate the last chip or something like that, you know, and I just find I, I enjoy exploring that, like how, how fleeting but how intense young people's emotions are, you know, everything is the most important thing in the world at, at that age, even the last chip. Um, so I think we kind of wanted to to replicate that, I guess. Yeah. Did you find that the film changed during the edit? Different things came to the front that you hadn't anticipated? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think um, my edit process is similar to the script. So, like, there were so many scenes that were cut and I kind of rewrite in the edit, I guess, and get really, like, sick of things and sudden and, like, just get rid of it, just get rid of it. And Theo would be like, but it's the key scene. And I would like, just get rid of it, Theo. Um, so it was very much, like, an endless, especially with the tone, like, it was a really hard tone to to kind of find. So we had quite a long time, a long time in the edit. It felt a long, maybe it just felt a long time, felt like agony, but... How long, maybe how long it was, was it? How long was it for you? <laughs> Six months, very long time. Is there a director's cut? (laughs) Well, like a four-hour, four-hour Scorsese special. No, no, my cut would be like 40 minutes. It's Theo (laughs) had to keep being like, if it's below 80, people get quite judgmental. So let's not, let's not, let's not do it. Speaking as a film critic, I'm more than happy with 80 minutes. um, And um, did you have to do any reshoots? Was there anything that you you had to kind of redo for real? Um, no, we didn't do any re- do we? no, we didn't do any reshoots. No. Um, and then also, did you do previews or anything like that? Test screenings? Um, no, no test screenings. No, did we? We didn't do test screenings, did we? Just showed it to some friends and each other and my mum, who was like, I don't know if you're going to find an audience for this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mum. Yeah. So no, not really, just friends. Um, and then can you talk a little bit maybe about um, bringing it to an audience because obviously you showed it in Sundance, which must have been quite quite an experience. How, how did how was that for you? Um, yeah, no, it was it was really amazing. Um, I think we'd like tried not to speak about festivals and stuff throughout the process, but um, Sundance always felt like somewhat like I just love the films that come out of Sundance and I love the, the program, so we'd always wanted to to play there um but the best part of Sundance was actually that Lola got to come and was really obsessed with just eating like big stacks of pancakes every day so the day would be dictated to by that so that was actually obviously Sundance was also sick and a privilege and loved it but Lola eating like 10 pancakes was up there in like most joyful Sundance experiences yeah um can we also just talk a little bit I mean about the audience that you had in mind when you were creating the film? Because, I mean, I mentioned to you earlier that you know, my son watched it, he was 12, and it was like, it really felt for him, I think, like a film that spoke to him rather than at him. It felt like someone who was actually connected with, uh, you know, young people rather than someone who saw them as a kind of a marketing area. So did you, do you, did you make the film with young people in mind? 
Yeah, I, I think we always said that would be like our idea of success was if if young people could enjoy it. Like it's why we kind of avoided swearing because Lola is big on swearing. So I think we had to constantly cut down on that. Um, I think we've always said as well, like if working class young people in particular could watch it and enjoy it and connect to it, that is what we hoped we, we could achieve. And then I think with like the the grief stuff, I feel like there's something in all of us as adults that could probably do with becoming a little bit more uh, Georgie in regards to our to our grief, you know. Um, so it's kind of a mix, but it was kids that I wanted to enjoy it the most, yeah. And, and what kind of reactions have you had from young audiences? Have you been able to, to speak to kids who've watched the film? Um, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Um, I don't know, they're pretty like standoffish with their reviews, aren't they? So I assume if they don't say it was shit, then it was okay. That is my assumption, but maybe I'm just being arrogant with that assumption. So lots of like my family will just not say anything, my little cousins, and I'm like, oh, that feels like a win. But I could be like just convincing myself that. So yeah, who knows? Um, but I know other young people have enjoyed it. Some haven't, obviously. Can he win them all? And my mum loves the one star letterbox review so I get lots of screenshots of them as well so it's a mix <laughs> you can't win everyone over um, Can we just talk a little bit about what you have got coming up what, what, what are you planning to do next I don't know why Theo's sighing like that, what was that sigh Theo <laughs> um, working on a, a new film that I'll like change every few weeks, sometimes it's like a sci-fi, sometimes it's a horror and Theo's like we need to stick to an idea here so it's ever changing um yeah so who knows what it'll be <laughs> and are you still making uh, rap videos not so much no i kind of wish i was but Theo won't dabble in them and he's like my my like work partner forever now isn't it so unless Theo you let yeah stops stops letting me down <laughs> um so you also have a character called mr barraclough in the film is that named after the, yeah that is a posh posh teacher named after Theo. yeah yeah um, how should he take that? Is it uh, is it an insult? <laughs> no, it's like affection. It's like loving. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're at the point where I'm going to open it up and see if we have a question from the audience. Is there anyone? Yes, there's someone right at the back. Can you wait? And I think we've got a roving mic. Uh, hi, I just wanted to ask about the um, some of the scenes. The dialogue felt so authentic, so real. Uh, the back and forth between a lot of characters. How uh, free were you with the improv? You talked a little bit about um, the main actress and kind of how much you gave her free reign, but how loose were you with the way you kind of approached those scenes? Or, you know, you, you mentioned just, a, you know, the last take on some of the scenes you gave her an extra take. But, um, yeah, how much freedom did you did you give for that? Because the dialogue just felt so real. Um, yeah, quite a lot. Like, I'm really not precious. If, like, the theme of the scene is within what's being said, then I'm happy for people to, to change it entirely a lot of the time. I think unless it's maybe, like, comedy stuff, then I'm like, maybe we need to hit particular things. Um, and, it, and it differed. Like, so a lot a lot of Lola's at times is. Maybe Alan, Alan less so. He, his process was more that he felt comfortable when he knew the lines. And if he didn't know them, it was, like, a little bit more nerve-wracking for him. So it kind of differed scene to scene. Um, and Harris was maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, 
So I would say like 30% of Lola's is for sure improv and that will be the best 30% for sure that she's responsible for. Yeah, so all the natural stuff is probably Lola, yeah. We've got one more question just here, this lady here. Hello, I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was great. And and uh, uh, a note from me, I hadn't actually heard for, heard about it. So I came to this not knowing what I was going to be seeing. Now, when it, when the film started, because I didn't know about it, I didn't know if I was going to be watching a documentary. And when it started, it's very much in the documentary style. And then it changes into being like a narrative film. Was that a deliberate choice for you that it, it started off being very documentary in its feel at the start probably just me being like a bit of a dodgy first time director I reckon um, it, it, <laughs> no it was, a, it was a mix it was a mix we for sure spoke about the stuff with the kids should feel like we're documenting them and we didn't want to be heavy on on cutting or shooting tons of angles and coverage uh, and then we wanted the stylized stuff to kind of be like real pronunciations, I guess, but I can't even say that word. Um, but yeah, a mix of me being dodgy and slightly intentional, but dodgy, yeah. And there's one more question. Um, this will be the last question. The last question, yes. <laughs> I better make it good. Um, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really moving. Um, I really liked the... As you said, the tone, the way it went from surreal to moving. And, and with that, I just wanted to ask as a as a screenwriter, um, there seemed to be a lot of truth uh, in, in the emotions of the characters. And um, I just wanted to ask what personal tr truths of yours, I guess, are in, in the film and how do you channel those as a writer? Because I thought you did a, a great job. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of don't know where the film like starts and, and I end, I guess, because it's that thing where when you're like a new writer, you can't help but write in, in your voice. So like all the characters, I think Fear would be like, it's all, they all have your sense of humour. And I was like, oh, I can't help it because it's the only humour I know. So I can't like write in another one. Um, so I think a, a lot of that was kind of was kind of mine, I guess, in a way. And then when you cast people, they kind of put their stamp on it and the same with the emotion I, th I think the film took that change from being a teenager a drug dealing like shot in teenager to, to this because like um like I was experiencing a lot of grief within my family so I think a lot of the grief as well ended up being like written into it in the way that it does when you're experiencing something I guess so I just want to say once again thank you and congratulations on a absolutely fantastic film thank you so much This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more Directors in Conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com. <laughs>